It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. The impartation of righteousness is one of the most amazing promises to be found in the Bible. And this is going to be one of the most edifying episodes of Discover Your Spiritual Identity that you have ever listened to. It's going to explode with revelation in your spirit. Let's start at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned about things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to save his family, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah is the first person in the Bible, chronologically speaking, to be referred to as an heir of righteousness and connecting that to the faith he had in God. And there's a tremendous revelation that goes along with that. When Noah built the ark, he wasn't consciously attempting to condemn the world, but by the very fact that he obeyed God, receiving the revelation and shared it with others, and they rejected it, the condemnation was consequential. It happened as a result. Not that he intended it, but it was a consequence of their rejection of his message. And your message in this generation is just as important. But let's draw the focus tight on how he became an heir of righteousness. Because once again, I want to emphasize that's not just his status, that is your status. Let me lay some foundational concepts first. The word righteous, what does it mean? It means a right standing, the quality of being right in our attitudes or our actions toward God and toward others. Righteousness. There are really only two groups of people in this world, the righteous and the unrighteous. There's no gray area. There's no demilitarized zone where you are not challenged to fight against the opposite in order to obtain this status. You're either in one group or the other. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy 25, 16, that the unrighteous are an abomination to the Lord. That's strong wording an abomination to the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. Let me read that scripture. Actually, it's verse 9 and 10. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So all of those expressions of sin come under the heading, the unrighteous. There is no compromise to this statement. You are either 
in that group or out of that group. And you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice in life. Here's the perturbing problem, the triple trouble, if you will, that every one of us is facing. Number one, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there is none righteous. No, not one. So there's not one person in this world who can qualify for a status of righteousness on the basis of his or her own works. That's a perturbing problem. And then number two, if we do attempt to be righteous, Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. It's not like a little bit of soil on a white garment. It's a filthy rag compared to the righteousness of God. And then number three, Jesus laid it out in heavy terms in Matthew 5.20 when he said, I say unto you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's talking about entering the kingdom now and entering the kingdom at death into the fullness of the glory of God. Hmm. What does that mean to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? They were the models of righteousness among the Israelite people. They were the ones who strove to adhere to the law, or at least the sincere among them did what they could, the best they could, to adhere to the principles of the law in order to qualify for a status of righteousness. So Jesus is, in essence, saying you can't do it through religion. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. But we have some powerful promises to lean on, more than that, to totally depend on. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins. And the word forgive means forthgive. It means to dismiss from thought. It's an old English concept to push out of your mind. In other words, God says, I'm not even going to consider that concerning you anymore. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So I don't think anyone listening to this podcast could be disqualified. Because if you confess your sins, he said, not some acts of unrighteousness, but that he would cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The worst memories embedded in the darkest corridors of your mind are not outside of the reach of that promise. God wants to cleanse you. He said he would make your sins as white as snow. That's something to consider. Because when snow covers a whole area, it doesn't matter what's under the snow. It all looks equally beautiful. There may be a rusted out car sitting up on blocks in the backyard or a brand new Buick in the front yard. And once the snow covers everything, the new car and the old car look just as beautiful. Maybe your past was really a mess or maybe you had a relatively good life. But once the snow of God's imparted righteousness falls, we all are equally righteous in the sight of heaven. 
That's not all. Not only does God take away our unrighteousness, he imparts to us his righteousness. And this is the miracle of the matter, because Noah was referred to as an heir of righteousness. That's not something he did for God. That was something God did for him. An inheritance is not something you achieve. An inheritance is something you receive. And again, I want to reemphasize that he's not the only one. You are an heir of righteousness if you're walking in covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, and so am I. Let me go back to that scripture and let's discern a little more deeply what needs to be drawn from it. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned about things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to save his family, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So was that just freely poured out regardless of Noah's attitude? No, because if it was a freely, liberally poured out gift, everyone would have been a recipient of imparted righteousness. The people in the ark, the people outside the ark. So what was it that attracted righteousness? Righteousness. Righteousness attracts righteousness. See, God's not just going to cheaply pour out righteousness on everyone and anyone regardless of their attitude. He realizes our efforts are insufficient and he makes up the lack or takes up the slack, so to speak. And once you do what you can do, God meets you there, and he does what only God can do. See, Noah was called a preacher of righteousness in Peter's writings. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he's called a preacher of righteousness. So he had moral standards, which is an amazing thing in itself because he had no Bible to read. He had no religious standard to go by. The Ten Commandments didn't exist yet, except within the conscience of a person who is sensitive to God. All he had was that sensitivity to conscience. And yet, drawing from that meager amount of spiritual influence, he became a preacher of righteousness in an extremely ungodly era that was so ungodly, Jesus used it as a type of the ungodliness that would exist in these days that we're living in. Think of that. So he was a preacher of righteousness, and his message was a revelation of his heart. And because his heart longed for righteousness, thirsted after righteousness, desired righteousness, God granted him more than his own righteousness and said, not only are you going to be a preacher of righteousness and a liver of righteous standards, I'm going to make you an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He believed what God said about the coming storm. He believed what God said about building the ark. So it was a coming danger and a preparation for it. Well, that fits the day we're living in right now, I guarantee you. I'm sure you believe the prophecies, if you're a Bible believer, concerning the coming storm that will come on this generation, I believe, come on this earth without a shadow of a doubt in 
the next few decades. We see the building up of the dark clouds on the horizon, but we are building a different kind of ark. It's the ark of a covenant relationship with God that keeps you in a place of safety. He becomes your refuge. He becomes your place of safety. And because you believe what the Holy Book says concerning what is coming in the future and beyond this world into the next world, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Therefore, God will honor your faith, not just your faith in promises of imparted righteousness, but your faith in the sum of what he's revealed. He will honor your faith by blessing you with a righteous status. See, Psalm 11 verse 7 says, the righteous Lord loves righteousness. Have you ever had somebody brag on their kid and say, he acts just like me. She acts just like me. We look alike. Look, side by side in a picture. You can see the DNA. Well, that's the same kind of attitude that the Heavenly Father has toward his offspring. He, he looks down in a sense. He doesn't have to look down. He's omnipresent. But he looks down from heaven and sees you making righteous choices and doing righteous things and believing in righteous values. And in a sense, he says, see my daughter, see my son. They look like me. They act like me. They believe like me. And so he adds to your righteousness with an impartation of his righteousness. It's like metal to a magnet. Your desire for righteousness is the magnet and the righteousness God imparts is the metal. Now let me take you to the next person in Scripture that is celebrated this way, Abraham. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15. This is right after Abraham went and rescued Lot with 300 men. We hear a lot about Gideon conquering the Midianites with 300 men. Well, Abraham did the same thing against an army that was most likely much more superior to him in numbers. But uh, anyway, God appeared to him in a dream and said, Do not fear, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have not given me any children, my heir is a servant born in my house. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir but a son that is from your own body will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look up toward heaven and see the stars if you're able to number them, so shall your seed be. And the Bible said that Abram believed God. He believed in the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. The New King James Version says God accounted it to him as righteousness. Wow, he just believed that God could do the impossible. The Bible said he considered not his own body now dead in Romans chapter 4. Neither did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Being not weak in faith, too, it also said. So he was strong in faith and he was not weak in faith. So faith was a very important element. And because he believed in God, the scripture right here says God credited it to him for righteousness. My father was an accountant. 
After he retired from the Navy, he was a naval commander. He commanded several destroyers. Then he worked in the Pentagon. Later on, he retired and became an accountant. And one of his favorite sayings, in fact, I made him a picture. Uh, I had an artist do a rendition of it. The 11th commandment, thou shalt not mix apples and oranges. That's the admonition he was constantly giving us as he told us how to categorize our expenses, our income, et cetera, et cetera. He said, you can't mix apples and oranges. Well, this is a classic example to me of apples and oranges being mixed. How can you mix faith and righteousness? The two don't seem even connectable, integratable. Well, let me explain the heart of a father. See, God is your heavenly father. If your children, if you happen to have offspring, show love for you, if they show appreciation of you, if they show gratitude towards you, you will shower them with benefits they don't even ask for. You go to the grocery store and buy things you know they like, even if they don't ask for it, because you know they need this or need that. You'll supply their need just because of a connection of love. Well, the Bible said it's your heavenly Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's supernatural righteousness. That's not naturally attained, humanly attained righteousness. That's kingdom righteousness. That's divine righteousness. And it's your Father's good pleasure to give you that. Why? Because you love him. Because you appreciate him. You're devoted to him. So he showers your life with righteousness. And you demonstrate your love for him by striving to be righteous, knowing you could never attain perfection of righteousness in your life. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So you do your best to be righteous. And yet, knowing that you fall short, you have to depend on his righteousness to bring you to that place of acceptability in his sight. That's the way it works. And it's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. He accounts it to you for righteousness. It's like you invest faith in the bank of heaven and withdraw righteousness. What if you could do that in an earthly bank? What if you could take uh, $20 worth of quarters and go put it in your bank, and then withdraw $20,000 worth of bills. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, that's about how wonderful this transaction is, because all God requires of you is to believe. And he says, now you're going to get something that is absolutely impossible for a human being to ever attain to within himself. This is phenomenal. But see, something you need to also consider is part of the reason that God counted it to him for righteousness, speaking of Abraham, was that he believed God could bring something that was dead back to life. Ponder that for a moment. He considered not his own body now dead, neither did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. So you've got a double whammy there. Sarah's womb is dead. Apparently by the time he was 99, Abram's body was, or Abraham's body was impotent. And so there's no way, but he just 
believed God. He went beyond the restraints or constraints of logic and reason, and he believed. And God counted it to him for righteousness because he believed that God could bring something dead back to life. Well, haven't you done the same thing? Your spirit was dead in trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but you dared to believe that Jesus, who said, I am the resurrection and the life, could resurrect you back to a status of life. And righteousness came as a result. Let me take you to Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. I love this passage of scripture. Paul said, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them as rubbish. The King James Version says dung. I do count them as dung that I may win Christ and be found in him. That's an important two-word phrase. In him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. From God by faith. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. In other words, keeping religious regulations and rules is good. That brings you up to a point of receptivity, but it doesn't take you far enough because your righteousness has got to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It cannot be just a self-attained righteousness by obedience to rules. That's not enough to qualify for heaven. But the righteousness which is from God by faith. And he said, I, I can only find that in Christ, be found in him. See, under his headship, all that he is flows down to us. As he is, so are we in this world. And Christ is made unto you wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, 1 Corinthians 1.30. So Christ becomes your source of righteousness. He is the end of the struggle for righteousness to those who believe. How beautiful is that? Now let me take you to Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 10. This is somewhat of a complicated wording, so you have to listen real closely. The righteousness which is based on faith says the following statement. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So righteousness in the new covenant it's not something you earn. It's something you believe your way into. You're believing not that God will raise up an impotent body or a dead womb to produce a child. You're believing that Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead after he was 
horrendously treated by being crucified on Golgotha, laid in a tomb, swallowed up by death, and yet three days later, he came forth and said, I am alive and I am alive forevermore. And you believe that he came out of the grips of death and because you believe he came out, automatically you come out of the grips of spiritual death that came as a result of unrighteousness. How powerful is that? Now, I want to dig into that just a little bit deeper. What did he mean, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? That means exalting yourself or exalting the power of your own efforts. I'm going to fast as long as uh, say 40 days or 30 days, which I have. I, uh, I'm i not downgrading the idea of fasting, but it didn't earn me a status of righteousness. But if I think it does, if I think that denying myself this, denying myself that, or some kind of spiritual discipline is going to earn me this status of righteousness, I'm pulling Christ down from above. So he's saying, don't exalt yourself. But he's also saying, don't debase yourself. Don't think you can earn righteousness by saying, who shall descend into the deep? In other words, groveling in the dust of your past and and emphasizing how horrendously uh, guilty you are in the sight of heaven and just overflowing with self-condemnation and degradation of yourself. That doesn't earn righteousness either. You can't ascend into heaven, exalting yourself. You can't descend into the deep degrading yourself to obtain righteousness. Well, how do you get it? The word of faith. What comes out of your mouth is what you get. There are many people who degrade the power of confession, but it is embedded in a salvation experience. This did not say beg God, plead with God, acknowledge the sovereignty of God, and maybe if you weep long enough, he will save you. It says confess with your lips the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So there is a lot hinging on the power of confession. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I have just a few more things I want to bring out and then I need to close. First, and this really ties in with everything I've said thus far, In his beginning sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave this blessed statement among eight blessed statements, the Beatitudes, statements of blessedness. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you are filled with righteousness, that's not something you do. That's something that he does. He's the filler, you are the fillee. You offer him a vessel empty of the world. You empty your heart of ego and self-centeredness and selfishness. And you say, oh God, I want to be righteous. I want so much to be right with you in my attitudes, in my actions, in my thoughts, in my emotions. I want to be right with God. You hunger, you thirst after righteousness. And God doesn't, doesn't say you will become righteous. He says you will be filled. He fills you with himself. He fills you with his own nature so that you can be righteous, not by your power, but by the influence of the Holy Spirit within you. But it gets better. Not only is righteousness an infilling, righteousness is a gift. Romans 5.17 says that you've received 
the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And because of that, you can reign in life, R-E-I-G-N, reign like a king, dominion and authority restored to you. You have to have this or you cannot reign in life. Other things are going to reign over you. But even more than an infilling, even more than a gift, righteousness is infused into the born-again new creation part of you. And let me explain it to you this way. You are not a sinner because you sin. You don't say, oh, I sinned, therefore I'm a sinner. No, the reason you sin is because you're born a sinner. You don't do it opposite to that. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You were conceived in iniquity. You were born in sin. Sin is a part of your nature, your lower nature that you inherited from Adam. So in like manner, you don't become righteous because you do righteous things. In the new covenant, you do righteous things because you are righteous. You become righteous. A new identity is transferred to you. Let me take you to Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24. That's the exhortation that you put off concerning the former lifestyle, the former conduct, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and put on the new man. That's the new creation man, the spirit that is brand new inside of you when you're born again. Put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So the minute God puts a new spirit, the split second that God puts a new spirit in you, that new spirit is created totally righteous in the image of God after the very one who imparted it to you. The image is transferred. And the Bible says, put on that new man. So in other words, live according to that level of consciousness. Don't live according to the level of consciousness in your lower nature, but in your higher nature now that you have been spiritually regenerated. And don't forget to give away this status to others. This is such a valuable acquisition. I cannot emphasize enough how very blessed you are and how dare any of us keep it to ourselves. Like the four leprous men that discovered the abandoned camp around Samaria, where there was an abundance of silver and gold and garments and all kinds of possessions and there were impoverished, starving people in Samaria. And the four leprous men found it. God had worked a miracle and driven the Syrians away. And after indulging for a while themselves, they said, we do not well. We're not doing right. We need to go back and tell those that are in, in Samaria. We've got to go back and tell them what God has done and bring them to this abundance so they can enjoy it too. And you and I have got to bring this awesome promise of righteousness to an unrighteous world. And it's such a part of what we're called to do in 2 Corinthians 3.9 is called the ministry of righteousness. We have the supreme privilege of taking these promises to the drug addict, to the prostitute, to the good person, the bad person, the intellectual, and the person that's just in the depths of spiritual ignorance. Doesn't matter. Across the board, we share with them these keys to obtaining righteousness 
and it's called the ministry of righteousness. And if you do that, if you share these truths with others, there's a promise I'm going to leave you with. It's Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. They that be wise shall shine as the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and forever. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.